this morning I came down, I just, this morning, feeling so grateful to live here, came into town looking over the mountains, you know, you get the, you get the whole line of light across the whole thing, the whole mountain range, Whew, man, that got me so good this morning, so I'm grateful to be here with you guys, I'm so happy to be in Homer, I love Homer, it's so close to my heart. Um, this morning, we are looking at 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. Um, we actually looked at the first of these letters to this church um, a couple weeks ago with Matt McCarter. Um, we have just a short, real uh, brief story of how this church was planted. Paul and Silas, they went to Thessalonica. They're there. They preach. There's a really quick response, and there's an equally as quick uh, persecution. They get ran out of the city. They save their lives and get out of there. Um, this church is, experiences persecution. They also, we know from some of Paul's letters, dealt with uh, false teachers, uh, people trying to uh, lead people uh, astray. And we know if there's persecution and immature believers, that's a great uh, recipe for troublemakers to get in the mix, right? So we have some of that going on. Um, in this letter, Paul addresses three main themes. The first of these is hope and persecution, the hope of Christ. The second thing is Paul clarifying the end times. It seems that this church thought that Jesus had come and they missed the train. So he says, no, don't worry, you didn't. You're good, keep going. And then the third part is he addresses a group of believers who are idle. They're not working and they're not being productive and they are um, using the generosity of the church and probably some other things that we'll talk about. So he addresses that. So this time, the framework we're going to approach this is a challenge to work. Um, this uh, whole chapter for this letter is sometimes used to have a conversation about uh, church discipline. We're not going to go there. The main focus for us this morning is talking about work. So uh, here's a passage, and I want to say two things before we read it. Um, we're going to be reading, so chapter 3, verses 6 through 12. But here's the two things. Number one. Uh, when I approach scripture, I often have, as I'm reading, as you guys do as well, things I feel like the Spirit's speaking to me. I have things heavy on my heart. I have conviction. I have joy. I experience all those things, right? Um, and then I want to share those things with you. But here's the thing. The scripture has to be the thing that speaks this morning and not me, okay? So as we approach scripture, I just want you guys to be on the same page with me, but I want you to hear from scripture and not just from me. And I know that kind of goes without saying, but I felt I wanted to say it this morning. The second thing is, uh, you know when you hear a message or something, you know, some kind of challenge, uh, or uh, when you hear it, you think to yourself, oh, you know who needs to hear this? And you think of someone that should be hearing the message. Uh, this today is for you, okay? So you may have someone who comes to mind, and I realize for most of you, you'll be right in line the whole time you're going to be going, yep, 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 but I want you to tune in and say, God, how does this apply to me this morning? Okay, is that fair? Yeah. Okay, thank you. So let's go. All right. Chapter 3, verses 6 through 12. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we command you, brothers and sisters, to keep away from every believer who is idle and disruptive and does not live according to the teaching you received from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to follow our example. We were not idle when we were with you, nor did we eat anyone's food without paying for it. On the contrary, we worked night and day, laboring and toiling so that we would not be a burden to any of you. We did this not because we do not have the right to such help, 
but in order to offer ourselves as a model for you to imitate. For even when we were with you, we gave you this rule, the one who is unwilling to work shall not eat. We hear that some among you are idle and disruptive. They are not busy, they are busy bodies. Such people we command and urge in the Lord Jesus Christ to settle down and earn the food they eat. So I wanna address something before we hop into some observations uh, as we do. This is something we, we experience, obviously, people who have things going on in their life and they don't want to work uh, for one reason or another and they have the capacity not to have to work and then they have lots of free time and some issues can come out of that, believer or not. Um, but there seems to be a large group of believers who are not working. And so then the question is, well, why aren't people working? Why is there a big enough group that Paul needs to address this, okay? So the first of these is it seems to be that they thought it was the end of the world. And that's a fair point. If you think it's the end of the world, I guess you don't really need to do a whole lot. I have a buddy came to uh, the Lord during the Jesus movement and he had some friends at the time that said, hey, it's the end times. Let's load up these credit cards, buy whatever we need to, and we'll let the Antichrist take the bill which, you know, they're still paying those off today. So there's that. So they thought it was the end of the world, but it's not, okay? And that's a fair assumption. And it probably is, has something to do with it. But the second thing, and this is more likely, is the Roman patronage system, okay? How this works is there was lots and lots and lots of very poor people that to make a living had to work almost 24-7 just to cover their basic costs. An alternative to this was you have someone wealthy, and they would pay you a very, very small allowance. They made lots of money. And for that allowance, you do errands for them. You fetch things for them. But most importantly, these people are usually in politics. So what you do is they say, here's the day we're going to vote. I need you to show up and vote for me. And so you show up and you vote on their behalf because you're getting their money, okay? So this was a norm for this time. It started... Um, around the time of the fall of Carthage and only increased in time, there was more and more people that were losing their land. And so it was a cultural norm to have a loyalty to someone that would give an allowance, okay? And we even know, right, that when we look at Acts, the, the church shared a bunch of things in common. It was not uncommon to have people who were wealthy already, that was a norm, and so they gave even more out of their abundance for the people who needed it, right? So there's two things going on here. That's just important to know as we jump into this. So let's do it. Moving forward, we'll just reference this group of people as the idlers, okay? So I got six observations. We'll move relatively quickly. And again, I think for the most part, you guys are gonna say, yep, that makes sense. I'm totally on the same page. And so let's look at scripture and hear from God together. So number one, this is a command. Verse six, he says, now we command you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, with my five-year-old son, I have lots of times that I ask him to do something, like fetch something for me. Hey, would you grab that? And if he wants to say, can I not? That's fine. He's not in trouble. He didn't have to do it. I asked a question. He said he doesn't want to. That's fine. Sometimes it's a very strong encouragement. Hey, I want you to fetch that, right? And he's like, he knows I am asking a question, but like also he pretty much needs to do it. And then there's times I say, Finn, I need you to get that right now, and it's urgent, and it's a command, and he's going to obey, or he's in trouble, right? 
Paul encourages all the time. He exhorts often. But very rarely is he saying, I am commanding you. And not only that, I'm commanding you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's a strong one. Finn, I want you to fetch that. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, go pick that up and bring it to me. <laughs> right? That's a, yeah, yeah. It's the only thing that works. I don't know what to do. <laughs> um, you know, that's a strong, that is a strong thing. So this is not a suggestion, not even just an encouragement. Paul expects them to obey. And he's exercising his apostolic authority in the situation to say, no, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. I don't know which one of you guys would feel that kind of authority outside of using a scripture as your like anchoring point to just write a letter to a friend who you think should, you know, to make a correction and just say, in the name of Jesus, I'm commanding you to do this thing. But Paul did, and he was allowed to. The reality is, if the church rejects this, they're not just rejecting man's authority or suggestion. They are rejecting God. Okay? This is a command, straight up. Thanks, guys. All right, number two. They worked most of the day. We talked about this. Most of history is filled with the, the middle class is what we would equate with, with below, below, below the poverty line. Okay? We're talking... You know, you go to, like, I spent a lot of time in uh, Zimbabwe, and we lived in a four-bedroom house, amazing wood floor, a bunch of custom work. We had, like, a courtyard. We had, a, a, like, a full-on, like, stone-created uh, barbecue situation for cooking all kinds of fancy foods. We had a bunch of amazing stuff. It was a fantastic home, and it only cost us, it was, like, a thousand bucks, everything for the whole month, right? Which for us is, like, we had almost 10 people. So between us, it was borderline free to live there. I mean, for doing anything else. And then our neighbor used about half of their income monthly to rent a little piece of land. And the other half was just paying for food and trying to save up to get, you know, a new pair of pants once a year and all that kind of stuff, right? And they had a little, it's like a little shack set up. And they were, they were telling me one time when I, when I was there, they were saying, yeah, we, we have some friends, and uh, we ha I think it was six families went in on a house, kind of like ours, but not as nice. Six families went in and split up the whole house to be able to afford just that one house, right? So here's the reality. For most of history, in many other countries, even still now, the currency just doesn't do as much. For us, you know, work a few hours and buy a pair of jeans or go out for a meal or something, we actually, we have it pretty good. I can work, a lot of people only work six hours a day and they're good. Some people work 50 hours in a week or 60 hours in a week and honestly, a lot of us, that's great. There's still lots of time in the day to do all kinds of other stuff. Paul says in, uh, in verse seven, he says, for you yourselves know how you ought to follow our example. We were not idle when we were with you, nor did we eat anyone's food without paying for it. And here's the part. On the contrary, we worked night and day, laboring and toiling so that we would not be a burden to any of you. So he was working so hard to provide his income so that he wouldn't be a burden to them, right? So a lot of people, instead of basically waking up going to work and working almost all day and then going back to bed, a lot of people opted for a patron. 
it was easier to live off generosity than it was working all day, which I think is fair. I, I, don't, I don't blame them. I understand that. And so they had patrons, probably. They also were using up, most likely, some generosity from wealthy people in the church. Um, so then they had more free time than others. So were they using this for ministry? No. So how do they use this free time? Number three, the idlers were causing problems, right? Verse 11. Come on, guys. We hear that some among you are idle and disruptive. They are not busy. They are busy bodies. The fun thing for us is it's very rare that the original like, language or the word is like translate exactly the same. This is almost exactly the same. He literally did a word play. Just this. They're not busy. They're busy bodies. It's the exact same. They're disruptive. They're disorderly. They're causing distractions. It's like the idea of going in, making something that makes sense and scatter it, you know? It's kind of what I want to do when my kids have been building something for 30 minutes, you know? I'm watching. What I want to do is just go in and do that, you know? I, uh, I was on Facebook mm, a couple months ago, and I saw someone comment on a post, that someone I've, I haven't talked to probably in 20 years or something. And uh, I... Was in, the comment was kind of confusing for me. I actually wasn't sure all what he meant. So I went to his page to see, like, maybe he had posted a little bit more, you know. And you guys know, it was political. So uh, to see what, what was going on. <clears throat> and I, I was looking through a few of the posts and saw they were all posted the same day. So I counted them up. It was like 23 or 26 six posts from that morning. <laughs> it's like, I, I have a hard time posting that month, like in a month or like half a year because there's just so many posts, and they weren't even helpful posts. They were just meant to agitate, right? They were just meant to make people angry, and memes make disrespecting whoever, you know? And the thing that you say, that I said to myself is, this person has too much free time on their hands, <laughs> right? It's actually very natural. That's what we say, right? When we have someone who think, and we all have those people on Facebook that seem to always have something to post, and it's always negative. They have too much time on their hands. These idlers, you know, I kind of imagine their relationship. So say it's a, let's, depending on how it works out, say it was a patron, someone wealthy that's not in the church. The kinds of things that a wealthy person who's not a believer would ask for you to participate in, some of them are not going to be moral, but it's your source of income. So there's some awkwardness there. Secondly, if the patron is in the church, that's possibly even more awkward. Just imagine... You know, we're all here, and Scott is paying half of you, your whole income. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or, you know, in the case of just using the generosity of the church, you have a few people who have worked 20, 30, 40 years to develop their business where it is, They've worked so hard. They're giving so much of their money. And you know what? Half of you are using their wealth because the church just keeps paying your bills. It is an awkward dynamic. And it's problematic. Turns out, when you aren't working, you aren't very useful. So the fun thing about this is Paul likes to do this thing where he points out an issue. Then he'll point out Here's what things should look like as a believer, and then he'll draw some contrast. So Paul contrasts the idlers, right? Work should be quiet. 
And in the translation I'm reading from, it uh, might be settled down. Uh, verse 12, now such persons we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly, settle down, and to earn their own living. In uh, Last week we looked at Ephesians 4. In that section, Paul talks about people and says, if your hands are used to steal, instead, so here's the contrast, use them to do work. If your mouth is used for corrupting talk, instead, you use it for something good. What he's pointing out there is people who are using things poorly, bad stewardship, it's actually by putting them to productive use that is part of the solution for resolving the negative things. So in this case, we have people who are not working that are quite idle, that are causing all kinds of issues. And so he's contrasting, saying, rather than just doing nothing and using the generosity of others and being a pain in the butt to everybody, you should work, and you should work quietly. You shouldn't be off going bananas on people. You should be focused. Number five, withdraw. This verse six again. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we command you, brothers and sisters, to keep away or withdraw from every believer who is idle and disruptive and does not live according to the teaching you received from us. Now, again, this is some strong language. Here's a command. But also, you know, an interesting thing is he is, we're talking about keep away or withdraw. This is the same word we use in like military and, and all that to withdraw. The whole purpose of that is if there's an engagement and you're called to withdraw, you're doing that to limit your losses. There's unnecessary loss. And he actually says, and later on in verse 15, he specifically says, now they're not the enemy. They're still your brother and sister, right? We have, um, you know, because we, we worked in missions for so long, that was all on uh, support, people who gave for us to go uh, spread the gospel, training. I was mostly involved in training, and given my age and my experience level, the majority of that was a staff development director, but that was just basically for year one, which a lot of that's just like life skills. Um, but I watched lots of young people, and you guys have seen this too. Um, once you're on support, especially if you have like one, a lot of, there's some people that they get a couple years in, they had, as far as effectiveness and growth had kind of tapered off, they weren't going on to the next step. They also didn't have the support to do what they needed to do. And in most cases, they had one or two decent-sized donors that essentially were giving them a little bit like enlarged allowance, and that was basically it. The thing in Kona, they're working on the campus, is you can, once you're there, if you're staffing and helping, your housing can mostly be covered, and your food can mostly be covered. So as long as you're making like a few hundred bucks, you can, you can make it by. And I had a lot of conversations with guys. They're single, they're real young, like 20, 21, and I would sit them down and tell them, thank you for your work, and you need to go home, or you need to get a job. Because the reality is, the longer they're in that pattern, the actually more unhelpful they are. They actually start doing damage. Now, I had the capacity, because they're a staff, to have that kind of, you know, to, to say that to them, right? So, then we got to ask the question. So, like, what's the big deal here? Like, I mean, I understand why it's a big deal, but... 
out of this strong language, you're withdrawing from people and you're commanding and saying, if I don't obey, I'm disobeying God. So this is, a, this is a really big deal to Paul. So why is he so caught up on this? Like, okay, maybe don't let them live off stuff. And, but what's the big deal here about work? Why, why are you so, Paul, why are you caught up on this? This work thing. And you know, like it's a drain on church money. There's a conflict of interest if you have a patron. Um, having lots of free time when you don't work for any of it is kind of unhealthy. All those things, right. But he's really caught on this work thing. And that's because, and this is six, that work is godly and it's good. It's really good. Paul wrote in Timothy, he says, but if anyone does not provide for his relatives and especially for members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Oh, he's talking specifically in this situation about uh, he's addressing widows and people who can't care for themselves and saying you have a responsibility before God to care for them, but says even your own household. This is a commission to care for what is yours. You know, we see in Eden too, right, that God takes Adam and Eve, he puts them in charge of the garden and says to care for these things, to steward for them, says multiply and also then take dominion over the, over the earth, Right? Work is made by God and has meaning. Like, we're made in the image of God to work. And this work even extends beyond just our primary job. In this letter, Paul is refocusing us on work, on being productive, and on stewarding our time. You know, the last six months, we've had a whole bunch of stuff happen. We had people lose their jobs. We had people with huge projects and a lot of collateral in for things have to postpone their job one, two, six months, either for ourselves or people really close to us, right? We've watched this happen. People have had to get a second job. And in Homer, you know, Homer's a great place. There's a bunch of people that right now want to move to Homer after COVID because Homer's the best. So that's helped us somewhere, but that's not true a lot of places. And we still got a lot of stuff going on. And then you gotta add in all the other stuff. Which is maybe not our work for money, but it's all other kinds of work and, and productivity. We're talking about our house and our schools. That's a big one. And our kids, our friendships even. That's been a challenge for all of us. Side hustles, recreation, trips, getting out of the state and back in has been ridiculous, right? So between our work and our life, it's been a lot. It's been a lot. I emailed out to you guys that uh, a comic I had run across uh, a couple months ago. I tried to find it and I could not find it. But it was this family and it says, finally 2020 is over is like the caption of it. This family, they're there in their house. It's 11.59 p.m. December 31st. And they're all like excited. And then the next part of the clip is it says, 12 a.m., December 31st, 2020. And they're going, no! <laughs> Which, you know, we joke about 2020 being over. We're really not talking about the year. We're talking about this thing, right? It's all a bunch of work. It's a ton of work. And not just our work is in our financial work. The whole thing. Paul gets tough on work because work is a big deal, financial and non-financial. Work is the mechanism, not just for your provision or the provision of those in your life that need it, 
but it's the mechanism for local transformation, for serving. And it's actually in working that you embody the image of God. Paul concludes this whole thing and turns his attention and said to those who are working really hard. And he says, as for you, brothers and sisters, never tire of doing what is good. So he goes so hard after work, how critical work is. And if you're not working, get your butt in gear. And concludes the whole thing and says, for you that are working so hard, I know, I know. Brothers and sisters, never tire of doing what is good. Family of God, Church on the Rock, do not tire of doing what is good. Because setting yourselves to the the productivity in front of you is the work of God. You can stay with me. I kept having this verse come to mind in relation to this, uh, which is Paul when he's addressing the slaves uh, in Colossians. He says, whatever you do, do it from your heart as if you were working for the Lord, not for human masters. So I know there's a lot going on, and I know that most of you guys are working really hard. I know that a bunch of you are tired. But I got great news. This is actually what you're made for. Let me pray for you guys. Jesus, I thank you for this wonderful body. I ask, Lord, that um, this morning that you would speak to hearts. I ask that you'd bring um, comfort where there's weariness. I ask that you would bring insight um, where there's been a lack of it. And Lord, even there's so much more even to discover in this passage. I just ask that you'd even speak to people uh, through your Holy Spirit, things you want to say. We thank you, Jesus, for your nearness. And Lord, whatever we do, we want to do it as if it was on to you, Lord. We love you, Jesus, and we're grateful to meet with you. We're grateful that you're close, that you're near, and that you empower us. We love you, Jesus. Amen.